It is not right to take the food of the children and give it to the dogs. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. About 15 years ago, I remember going to Spain. I had gotten married here in Florida, and uh, I got married to my wife, who is a native Floridian. I'm from North Carolina originally, but I grew up in Mexico for my first four years of my life, and then the next 12 in Spain. So I grew up not knowing whether, I, whether or not I dream in English or Spanish. I, I, I speak them both languages as though they were the, the same language to me. But we were flying on Iberia, the Spanish national airline, to Madrid. We'd had our wedding celebration here, we went on our honeymoon, and then we were going to Spain to see friends and family and relatives who weren't able to make it to our American wedding, so we were going to have a, a celebration there. And as we landed in Tabarajas Airport in Madrid, the stewardess looked at my wife, and she's Italian-American, olive-complected, beautiful brown eyes, and brunette. And they looked at, looked at her and they said, Bienvenido a España. And then they looked at me and they said, Welcome to Spain. St. <laughs> James and Jesus Christ and the book of Proverbs have something to say about what I experienced there. It's very easy to judge a book by its cover. It's very easy to look at someone and, and decide that they belong in one place or another place. St. James tells us in verse 2 of chapter 2 that if someone comes into your church and they're wearing a, a ring, uh, a gold ring, you might say, oh, why don't you sit here? But you might walk in with your homeless dog and smell. And you say, oh, well, why don't you sit over on this side of the church? He's, ex he's telling us something that does happen quite often in many churches and even in our own lives. He's saying that you and I easily pigeonhole people. As I was doing some of the sermon prep for this message, I was reading some commentators on, on the Gospel of Mark, and I ran into uh, Bishop Tom Wright, who was the previous bishop of Durham, also a phenomenal New Testament scholar. And he, he was commenting about this, this particular passage and saying that, that actually what you see happening here is an amazing story of God saying that the message, message isn't just for those that are, the, those that are in the, the know-how, or those that are well-behaved, or those that are part of God's elect, His chosen people of Israel. But actually, in chapter 7, the beginning of it, it starts with Jesus teaching about what is clean and unclean, and that's a teaching. But here we now have the action of that, where he's declaring that what you and I think is clean and unclean is very different than what he thinks is clean and unclean. Some other commentators that I, were reading, that I was reading on this passage thought that it was simply Mark and the Syrophoenician woman trying to put Jesus in his place, um, and that actually Jesus didn't know what he was doing. I like to read different commentaries just to know what different strands of... Uh, spirituality think this passage says. But the truth of the matter is that the Syrophoenician woman is not putting Jesus in his place, and neither is Mark. Uh, there's actually a high likelihood, many commentators believe, that Jesus is quoting a, a well-known saying of the day. 
Now, I have not been able to find a quotation in the Talmud, and nor has any other scholar, but if they do, someone might get a PhD out of that one day, that shows this phrase, but they believe that Jesus is quoting a well-known first century phrase saying, it is not lawful to, to give the food of the children to the dogs. And it was this idea that this, that this justified those that were God's people, the people of Israel, from excluding Gentiles from the worship of the one true God. It gave them a reason why they could feel superior to other people. It was this whole reason why Pharisees could look down upon those that didn't uh, observe the ceremonial law that we heard previously in this chapter about cleanliness and uncleanliness. But you see, Jesus tells us three things in this passage. He reveals to us that we often separate into the world, the world into this idea of they're unworthy. Or perhaps there's others that don't do that, but we say, I'm unworthy. But then lastly, this passage tells us this, only he is worthy. They're unworthy. It's easy to pigeonhole and think, ah, this person doesn't speak Spanish. This person does. Or even, it's interesting how, having lived in England, it's, it's easy to pigeonhole people as to whether or not their social class based simply on their accent. That happens here in America too. We perceive someone to have a southern accent, and what do some people do? Or we perceive someone to have a more ethnic name, and what do we do with job interviews? That happens. But Jesus is saying, don't do that thing of they're unworthy. It's easy to do that. Why? Because we all feel inadequate. That's what Jesus is telling us. And, and, but the problem is we can also find someone who's a little bit less adequate than us, someone who's a little bit less clever than us, Someone who's a little bit less good-looking than Reggie. But that's hard. It's also easy to find someone that's better-looking than us, more well-spoken than us, more educated than us. So we need this to feel good about ourselves. We, it helps us to have these little, these little pigeonholes to put people in. And Jesus is saying, stop doing that. Stop saying, they're unworthy. The second thing that we see in this passage is this idea of, I'm not worthy. And I love this. Jesus is a phenomenal teacher. He's probably the best counselor you will ever encounter. And he says this phrase to her. He says, it is not fair, it is not right to give the food of the children to the dogs. And it's not because he's calling the woman a dog. You'd be misreading the text if you read the entirety of the Gospel of Mark or even the previous and following verses of this gospel, that Jesus includes everyone. I love it because it's in the gospel of Mark that we find reported that at the very end of it all, it's a Roman centurion who says, surely this man is the son of God. It's not an insider that's saying that, it's an outsider. Jesus' whole ministry is one of bringing the outsiders in. But how do I illustrate this idea of, of I'm worthy? There's a, there's a way of saying I'm not worthy, and there's another way of saying I'm not worthy. If you're at all familiar with the Citizen Kane of rock fan movies, um, it's called Wayne's World. And in Wayne's World, uh, it's a film from the early 90s, you have the character of Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. And they get a backstage pass to go see 
Alice Cooper. And they go to Alice Cooper and they, they sense this, they're in the presence of someone greater than them. They sense that they're not worthy. Or maybe they don't, but they want to play off that because they have their backstage pass. And you can see them going throughout like backstage pass, backstage pass, flashing it at everybody. But they get to Alice Cooper, and then they start bowing down. They say, we are not worthy. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. To which you then see Alice Cooper say, you are worthy. And then all of a sudden, they start going, we are worthy. We are worthy. We are worthy. And there's a whole bunch of us that have that false sense of unworthiness because we actually really do think we're worthy. But it's, it's, it's that false humility. Our collect spoke about having a proper sense of humility. James talked to us about a proper sense of humility. Jesus Christ talks to us about humility. The book of Proverbs tells us that God is the judge of the rich and the poor we just read. You need to put that into proper context. You're, it's not just I'm unworthy. We're all unworthy. In the words of Arlie Ermey in the film Full Metal Jacket, if you remember, all the trainees show up to basic training on Paris Island. And I will give you the sanitized version of it. He starts going off on the fact that, uh, that you might belong to this protected class or that protected class or this uh, ethnic group. He says, I don't care. You are all equally worthless. The thing about that, it's kind of humorous when Arlie Ermey says that. He's also trying to put people down, which is not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is something radically different with this woman, with this Syrophesian woman. Everyone tells her she's an outsider, she's not worthy. And Jesus says, yes, that's what you have heard your whole life. That's what you think, you're a widow, you're an outcast. But Jesus Christ is saying, it's because of me that you are worthy. You are worthy. And not in an Alice Cooper sort of worthy. It's as the centurion in a different part of the gospel says to Jesus. I'm not so much as worthy that you would come under the roof of my house. And that's where Cranmer gets both this story from the faith of the Syrophoenician woman and the story of the centurion for what we have as called the prayer of humble access. I'm not so worthy, but say the word and I shall be clean. They're not worthy to this whole idea of I'm not worthy. But you see, here's the thing we find in Jesus Christ. That sometimes we when deep down in the biggest and in most secret recesses of our heart, we actually acknowledge that we're not worthy. Jesus already knows that. That's what we say in the Collect for Purity, that Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid. He knows the deepest secrets of your heart. He knows that you're actually unworthy, and yet he chooses to love you anyway. And you see, the story of Jesus going to Tyre and Sidon and Syrophoenicia and Decapolis is a beautiful story because this is the story not of someone who's blonde-haired and blue-eyed but can natively speak the language and can fake being Spanish. This is someone who is born into first century Middle East life, lives 
the life of a pauper. He lives the life of, of a poor man. He dies a death in a borrowed grave. He even says, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is someone who fully identifies with us, with our unworthiness, lives the life that we cannot live, dies the death that we should die, and raises to new life and gives us that new life also. Only he is worthy. And I love how the writer of of this passage that we read, how John Mark puts it. He says, everything he does is good. Everything. It's perfect. It's worthy. It's noble. It's amazing. We can find instances of people who do beautiful things here or beautiful there. I mean, it was, it was a heartbreaking week looking at the news. Having been someone who served in our military and seeing the heart-wrenching scenes at the airport, but I remember seeing the last picture of U.S. troops at Kabul Airport, and I saw someone who was seven years prior to me at West Point uh, getting on as the last troop at Kabul Airport. It was Major General Chris Donahue. He was a commander in a Delta squadron, and unlike many other leaders, he didn't lead via Zoom. He was the last person to get on that flight, fully knowing that he might get shot down, fully knowing that it was a huge risk to be the last boot off the ground. But you see, he's doing exactly what we read in The Magician's Nephew with C.S. Lewis. And it's where King Frank becomes the king of Narnia. Frank the cabbie of London becomes the king of Narnia. Aslan asks Frank the cabbie, and he says, will you be the first in battle, and will you be the last off the field? And the thing is that as much as that's a very beautiful picture of, uh, with the night vision goggles seeing Major General Donahue get on the C-17, it moves us, but it actually, he didn't really risk his life. He wasn't shot down. But you see, and unlike King Frank being the, the first on, on the battle and the last off the field, we have a King Jesus who was the first in battle and last off the field. He didn't just risk his life, but he actually gave his life for us. And it's because of that that Cranmer in 1549 pens this beautiful prayer in our prayer book. He actually pens it, and it's such a beautiful prayer that, yes, in fact, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and even our brothers and sisters over across the Tiber in Rome have incorporated this post-1968. It's called the Prayer of Humble Access. And I'm going to read from the 1662 prayer book because I think there's this humility that we need to have coming to God, this place that puts us in our proper place but also exalts us. Because the Lord Jesus wants you to know today that you don't need to be too proud to accept what the gospel says about your unworthiness. But you also don't need to be too despondent to accept what the gospel says 
about how loved you are. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. But in thy manifold and great mercies, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.